Romans chapter 10. I believe the McGuire's might be out today. Uh, I think they have a couple of the kids are sick this morning, so remember them in prayer. Um, Romans chapter 10. I honestly thought about making this the 11 o'clock message, uh, but the Lord had put something else on my heart and mind for the 11 o'clock message. But this one, because... This is a very familiar passage to us, uh, especially those um, who have, uh, you know, evangelized or or had shared the gospel in any way, and and this is a great uh, place that we come to for understanding salvation. What is salvation? And um, this is Paul continuing on in in chapter ten that he. First of all, had desired in verse 1, it all started with this desire that Israel be saved in chapter 10, verse 1 of Romans. And we came to the conclusion that that meant that they weren't saved. And so we who are saved, we understand what salvation is. We understand that the right way to think of salvation versus the wrong way to think of salvation and, you know, one of the inter- interesting things about it is, is how repetitive that message is in the Word of God. I mean, I feel like uh, the, the, what we're talking about today is what we've talked about for the last six months in some way uh, or fashion every day. But Paul is really, in chapter 10, he's really getting down to the truth of the matter that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned, all need mercy. And even beyond the scope of chapter 10, we see that in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, which we'll talk a little bit more about. But in chapter 10, verse 1, he comes down to this, and it looks like uh, the Weimers just pulled in. And it does look like he just comes down to this in chapter 10, is he desires for them to be saved. And as a recap, we see that he continues on down and he says, you know what, they, they have religion, but they're lost. Now, religion is a futile effort to touch God. Uh, religion is a futile effort to touch God yourself. Salvation is when God rescues you. And salvation is when you submit to needing to be rescued by God that you cannot, with all of your piety or religion, touch God in your own effort. God must rescue you. And so he goes on to talk about that's the righteousness of faith, that God's righteousness is accepted before him. And how to obtain his righteousness is through faith. It can't be of works. It can't be of value. You must have surrendered that already when you come to the foot of the cross. And so, but then he contrasts the righteousness of faith versus the righteousness of the law. And because we saw that Moses in verse 5 describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. And we saw that not only those who are trying to touch God with their religion, not only do you have to be perfect, You have to live in the law, and you cannot break any of the law 
not, not any of it at any time. And if you were able, which you're not, if you were able to accomplish that mighty feat, then you would live forever. Uh, then that's what he says. They shall live by them. And in other places we see that they shall live in them. But that's impossible. And so in verse 8 through 11, Paul is saying it's impossible to obtain to the righteousness which is of the law. So therefore, you are making it complicated. He is telling the Jews, the Jews are going about to make it complicated, but it should not be complicated. The law, the, the righteousness which is of faith is not complicated. It's, you don't have to go and search for truth. You don't have to go and scale the oceans. You don't have to go up to heaven and, and talk to Jesus himself. You don't have to do any of these mighty feats of strength or go on some quest to get the, you know, as you think of uh, the Camelot, the Knights Camelot, or on this quest to go find the Holy Grail. You know, they're, they're fighting dragons and crossing rough seas, and they're just on this amazing quest to, to, to reach Christ. And that Paul's saying, that's too complicated. The, the righteousness, which is a faith, is already in your mouth. It's already nigh thee and in thy heart. And that's what he says in verse 8, but what saith it? And that it refers to the, the righteousness of faith. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So verse 9, at the end of verse 9, wraps up the end of verse 1. He says his desire was for them to be saved. Here's where they're going wrong, but here's what salvation is. Salvation's a heart matter. It's a surrender of works. It's a surrender of worth and works. And it is not complicated. It's the faith that saves. So it's faith in him, and it's him that saves. It's Jesus that saves. And then, so we see Paul talk about this heart and mouth. In verse 10, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. This great mystery, this amazing thing that seems to be so elusive to the people from time to now, from kings to, to the pulper, and from people searching for meaning, right? There's this great mystery of the meaning of life, and I must go on a quest to find nirvana. This nirvana is this ultimate uh, place of this uh, sleepy, dreamy state where you can be at Zen and, and you're spiritually equalized with the environment, and all of this, this hum humanitarianism or emotionalism or whatever people they want to levitate, you know, and just be one with uh, their surroundings and everything. So they're going on this, this mind-blowing quest. Are they ever going to reach satisfaction in any of that? No. No. And so Paul says, it's already in your body. <laughs> it's already there in your body. It's in your heart. The righteousness, which is of faith, is belief 
with all of your heart. And then when the Lord changes your heart, you speak. You confess what's in your heart. And you know, people don't have to uh, deliberately or by force speak what's on their heart, do they? People, people will speak what's on their heart automatically. I mean, you don't have to twist their arm. Hey, what, what's in your heart? Um, let me see what's in your heart. They'll, they'll tell you what's in your heart. And Jesus says it's not what goes in a man that defiles. It's what comes out of the mouth. And what comes out of the mouth? The storage of your heart. And so that's what he says, what defiles. So chapter 10, verse 11. Last week we also wrapped up, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So at this time, now Paul is asserting that this is not a new thing, the righteousness of faith. This is something that has been already established in the scriptures. Jesus opened up the scriptures to those, and he says... Uh, in the scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but they are the scriptures are they which testify of him. They are they which testify of Jesus. And so Paul is saying, you know, remember his argument here. You think you're saved, but you're not saved. Salvation's not in religion. Salvation's in the Lord's mercy. And here's the thing. You must realize you need mercy. It's not God giving you aid, like student loan or student aid or federal relief. No, God has to completely rescue you. If he doesn't, you're dead. I mean, you're already dead in sins and trespasses. So we must, in our mind, come to that realization that Yes, it is not about me touching God with my piety. It's about God reaching down and saving me in a redemption. He's purchased me. Think of the price he paid to purchase you with his own blood. And so now you are his. And Paul says this has always been of Scripture. That in verse 11, that what the Jews are practicing, and so many times we can relate now, we know that chapter 10 is a message directly to the Jews and their uh, works of the law. But we can relate this to religion in general, any religion that has works. I mean, if you think about it, all of them do. Um, I think Christianity is, true Christianity is the one based on faith alone, by grace alone. So verse 12 through 21 will be the, the part that we want to study. And don't worry, next week I'm sure I'll review these verses. <laughs> Verse 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. The gospel declared is to be universal. So it must be to all peoples. The gospel declared is to all peoples. Now, you know, I, if you're with us in Acts, and I know most of you are, and if, if you're not, um, certainly uh, find it on 
you know, the, the website. We just saw Paul keep the captive audience of Jewish zealots who a minute ago wanted to beat him to death. He kept captive the audience of telling his testimony of how he used to be this Pharisee. He used to be the zealot. He used to be a prestigious Pharisee. You don't sit under the feet of Gamaliel, the doctor of the law, uh, and not be uh, in the upper echelon of Pharisees. He had him captive. Then he says, you know what? A bright light came, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ, and said, why are you persecuting me? And then he kept him captive during that. And then he got to the point where, you know, Ananias, Ananias was the priest and said, God has chosen thee to be a light of the gospel. And we got to the point of saying that Jesus has sent him to the Gentiles. That's when they were done listening to Paul. They had so much hatred for the Gentiles that at that point they said, away with this fellow. He's not even fit to be alive on the earth. And the whole reason that even Paul got into this much trouble, it was because of the lie and the rumor that he brought a Gentile into the temple. The Jews hated the Gentiles. So, look at Paul now. Now, Romans was written before these incidences happened, after the end of the third missionary journey. But look what he says in verse 12. Think about this statement he's making to the Jew. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, the first proof that the gospel is for all, note where there's no difference, Jew or Gentile, the first proof is considering the character of God. Consider the character of God. He is the same Lord over all. In 1 Timothy 4.10 it says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Now when it says that he is the Savior of all men. I like what John Gill said. He is the Savior in the sense that he is the providential blessing to all men, lost and saved. He causes the, the rain to fall upon the lost and the saved and the sun to shine. He preserves the breath in every mankind's body. And so in a measure and in a way, he's the reason they're alive. He is the reason they're alive. And so he's the savior of all men. And then Paul says, especially to those who believe. Okay? So he's not talking about the nationality difference there like he does in other places. But he is especially the savior to those who believe. Now, in verse 12, it says that the same Lord, he's overall, is rich unto all that call upon him. He is rich in mercy. Now, I don't know if, if you underline, but at the end of verse 12, he is rich unto all that what? Call upon him. Now, 
It's very important that call upon him because we see this phrase used for those who believe, those who have salvation experience will call on the name of the Lord. And that call is a heart call. It's not just a mouth call, it's a heart call. Now, we see this phrase used many times. We just talked about it in Acts chapter 21. Look at Acts chapter 21. And you remember that we dealt with this verse in Acts chapter 20. Actually, look at Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Remember, we dealt with this verse. We dealt in Acts chapter 22, 16 says, uh, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now we dealt with this verse that calling on the name of the Lord is not connected with being baptized. This verse is saying, be baptized. And then, in ba- and then in past tense, if you look at the language, you look at the verbs, having had your sins washed away, or washed away thy sins, having called on the name of the Lord. It is the belief that we have in the salvation experience, calling on the name of the Lord encompasses repentance and faith, and calling upon him for salvation and trusting in him that he has saved you. It's Jesus' blood that washes away the sins. So when it, the phrase is calling on the name of the Lord, now come back to Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 12. So give special place in the scripture to the significance and the weight of that. Call upon him. Call upon his name. Verse 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You notice it doesn't say baptized, calling on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we were to interpret Acts chapter 22 as you have to be baptized in order to be saved, that contradicts Scripture. It contradicts other truths. I mean, when we address Scripture, we must address it in its integrity, in what is truth elsewhere. It's not going to teach to be saved one way and then saved a different way somewhere else. It doesn't do that. Even Paul established how Abraham was saved. And that was before Moses was born, way before Moses in the law in Mount Sinai, any of that. How was Abraham saved? And so we see that it is, the scripture is consistent, it's fluent with truth. Now, if we see something that doesn't appear to be right, our interpretation probably isn't right. And so that's when we study upon it. But 
it says that he is rich in mercy. And I love this. Psalm 86.5 says, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. All right, so I think we've established the significance of calling upon the name of the Lord. Now look at the, now look at the next verse. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So you must believe on him before you call on him. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So we see in verse 14, the gospel is not only universal to all people considering the character of God, he's the Lord over all, but in verse 14, the gospel is necessary to belief. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the revelation of God, his grace is necessary for belief. You must believe in order to call upon him. You will never call upon him if you don't believe. You can call on him with your mouth, but if you don't believe in your heart, you're not really calling upon him. So, and you're not going to call upon him unless the word of God has penetrated your heart through the Holy Spirit. God's searing your heart breaking that heart and cracking it open and you finally seeing the light of the gospel. So many people, they put their faith in the revealed works of God, not the revealed word of God. Now think about that for a minute. You got a bunch of people who worship creation you got a bunch of people who worship God's blessings of life. They worship their children. They worship everything. I mean, think about, you know, and there's nothing wrong with these professions, but think about those who just give their life over to ocean biology or agriculture or uh, plants and horticulture and, and things, and it becomes, it becomes their consumption. It's their life. It's why they were put on this planet. They are putting their faith in the works of God, not the worth of God, or the word of God. They're, they're adding value to how, you know, isn't, isn't that something, that awful, that you have people their whole life who are worshiping the creation and not the God of the creation? All they know is the creation and not the God of the creation? And it should break our hearts. The, to, to understand the blindness which they really have and how they're dedicating their whole lives to do this. So faith is believing in the revealed word of God, not the revealed works of God. You know, we praise the Lord for his blessings. We praise the Lord for his visible glory and Godhead and power, but that's not what's going to save us. You know, my dad had ton of Bibles. He had, a, he had a library full 
of books about the Bible and commentaries, and my dad had degrees and everything. But if I walk in there, I could have this false sense of security knowing, you know what? My faith is going to be in how I see God has blessed my family and put me into this home. People are putting their faith into the works of God, not the word of God. And how will they believe if they don't hear the word of God? Now, this word here is not so much as an audible sense, but as a communication, having received communication. He says here in verse 14, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Well, the call, the actual definition of call, they can't. So I hope we, we fully understand that, right? God had, must have done a work in their heart to lead them to repentance and faith. It is not of works. It's a gift of God. And when they have been led in repentance and faith by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they call on him. That's the only time anybody will ever authentically, truly call on the name of the Lord once they've believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Paul says he was the preacher to the Gentiles. How are the Gen- and if the, Gen- if, the, if the Lord is the Lord over all, he's the Lord over the Jews, he's the Lord over the Gentiles, how are the Gentiles going to hear unless I go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles? Jews, stop getting so mad that God has actually sent me to do his work. Because how are they going to hear unless I preach it? And how shall they preach except they be sent? In verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, there's a couple of points I want us to consider. We may not get all, I know we're not going to get all the way to verse 21. In verse 16, we know that the gospel is deliberately refused. The Jews mostly rejected the gospel which Paul preached. It was to the Gentiles. Uh, We know why they rejected it because Jesus gave the reason why people reject the gospel is they love darkness more than the light. And, you know, and that's the thing is so many times when we take that verse, we understand it to mean wickedness or we understand it to mean rebellion against God. That is included. But it's also pride. Pride of works. Pride of religion. That you love darkness more than light. The light is is that we have fallen short of the glory of God and there's nothing good in us. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no difference between me Uh, and the worst criminal in prison. There's none. All need to be saved. That's been Paul's argument. From Romans chapter 1, it was the Gentiles have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 2, the Jews. Who art thou, O Jew? You're inexcusable, O man, who condemns another person for you doing the exact same thing. Romans chapter 3, he concludes all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And then he goes on to say justification is not by the law, it's by faith. And who is it that God justifies? Is he the God of the Jews only? No, he's also the God of the Greeks and the Jews. So in another aspect of this, we're not going to get to it, we'll get to it next week, that honestly the Jews are rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ not only because they preferred the darkness of pride of works within themselves, but they're also rejecting that God could call the Gentiles at all for his namesake. How could you put me in the same lump in the same category as a dirty dog Gentile? And then here pretty soon, Paul's going to argue, look, even Moses talked about, and Isaiah talked about how God would extend mercy to the Gentiles. How are you missing this? And that's what he says in verse 19. Again, we won't get to it. But I say, did not Israel not know? Did not Israel know? They did know. But they rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw that this is a continuation of Paul saying that the Jews stumbled. The Jews stumbled. Um, that is all the time we have for this morning. Um, verses 12 through 21 is Paul's argument. Verse 12, the very beginning. There's no difference between the Jew before we saw that his desire was that they be saved. Then he exposes to them and to us today where they went wrong. They have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. And then we see him establish the difference between the righteousness which is of faith and the righteousness which is of the law. How Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. Then we see that salvation by faith is not complicated. The word is nigh thee even in thy heart and in thy mouth. It's the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt believe with thy heart that God, that uh, in Jesus Christ and God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Isn't that simple? That's so simple a child can even understand. And it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I believe that, and I hope that you are blessed with looking at what that means. Who calls upon the name of the Lord? And what does calling upon the name of the Lord even mean? I pray the Lord has richly blessed you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of Sunday school. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Oh, we have so many, Lord, we, we cannot count. Father, may we not take for granted your grace, your mercy to us. The things that are in our lives that we do not even know that you have providentially rescued us from. Father, we, we love you. We know, Lord, that you are in complete control and on your throne. We pray that you be glorified in your church this morning. In Jesus' name.